Tower, Delta 1855 with you on the SMS bridge visual 28 right. Station 55, right, clear to left. Clear to right, Delta 1855. 256, 101, clear for takeoff. One right, clear to go, United 256. 10461, run right, line up and wait. Hey everyone, what a week it's been here over at the Flightcast headquarters. This is our multinational aviation podcast where we bring the ruckus from pilots to rampies and everyone in between. I'm Jason Rosewell, and with me as always is the co-host of my dreams, Mark Skyhawk Heavy Denton. Hey there, brother. Well, first of all, you're welcome. And second of all, hey man, what's going on? <laughs> uh, well, you and I are, are have been busy bees the last week, especially, Mark. You, you um, have been working on... Uh, an event that Infinite Flight is going to be attending in a couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about that. And uh, now I'm happy to say that as of last week, I am also working on this event because uh, Flightcast is going to be at Flight Sim Expo 2018 in Las Vegas, Nevada. And Mm -hmm. uh, Flightcast listeners and fans, watch for more details on that coming up soon i don't have any specific details about flightcast being there but i will say that i'm very happy to uh be part of the infinite flight team officially now so i'm i'm going actually as infinite flight and flightcast which is very cool and and, uh worked out that your co-host of your dreams was already going to be there with infinite flight so it just worked out yes exactly so uh Mark and Jason back together again for uh, some shenanigans in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, mm-hmm. Mark, we're planning a infinite flight sort of meet and greet slash meet up, call it whatever you want. And um, we're, in, we're going to encourage infinite flight users and people that we've just met for the first time when we're there. And any people who are listening who are attending Flight Sim Expo, and uh, maybe now that you know both of us are coming, you'll want to uh, splurge for that plane ticket or uh, maybe go for that nice long drive you've been thinking about doing. And, you know, Vegas in June, who doesn't want to be in a, a nice dry 110 degree heat? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. But you know what? I mean, I've been to Vegas and it's, yeah, it's hot as hell. All right. But. It's 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 a dry heat. It doesn't have the humidity there. Exactly. That we do here in Alabama. So, you know, yeah, it's going to be hot, um, but it it's still it's not going to be like miserable. Uh, what some people might think, but uh, it but then again, at night it's going to be forty degrees. That's right. So, so it's it's still going to be awesome. We'll uh, we'll launch the details. Watch the uh, Infinite Flight. Uh, social media, which uh, is everywhere at Infinite Flight, I think at this point, isn't it, Mark? Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also watch the Flightcast social media, which is at Flightcast Audio all over the place. And um, we're going to be doing uh, posts to our accounts, uh, stories on Instagram. One, when the event hits, yep. we'll be doing lots of live stuff uh, on Instagram, mm-hmm. especially. And so watch those social media accounts if you can't join us. Uh, also, I want to encourage you to watch the, um, if you haven't checked out Live Flight, 
It's the flight tracker for Infinite Flight, and usually we run an ad for that. Um, they'll be live as well. So Cam and Misha both now are going to be uh, at the expo, and Misha's taking like, oh, six or seven flights to get there, and four or five different airlines. Bless his heart, he's so desperate. He's sweet. I can't wait to see him again. Those guys are uh, bring a lot of life to the party. So it's going to be a really fun time. And even if you can't be there, make sure that you check us out on social media and uh, you can get all the info coming up very, very soon. And we're kind of gradually releasing that communication. So, yeah. Well, uh, I'll be there with Google Translate to understand Cam and Misha. And um, also, <laughs> I just posted on our Infinite Flight page the event for um, the Flight Gym Expo. So if anybody has any questions as far as times and dates it's now available on our facebook page perfect mark have you heard of live flight for infinite flight yeah man i've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before you know planning my flight right well as you probably know a new version of live flight is now available at liveflightapp.com this new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up with the new design more flight stats a search feature and airport information tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever oh man i know and now with the new downloadable kml files you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now back to the podcast. So, Mark, speaking of Flight Sim Expo, we have with us yeah. in the Flightcast virtual recording booth, uh, Evan Ryder. He's a commercial pilot with time in the Piper Navajo and the King Air B100 mm -hmm. and is currently mm -hmm. in sim training on the Embraer 175 with Air Canada Express, which is very cool. He's co-founder of Flight Sim Expo 2018 in Las Vegas. Evan's here today to fill us in on what we can expect from Flight Sim Expo. Evan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. So, yeah, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, we appreciate you making time. We know just from Mark and I talking to you by email and uh, on text that you are extremely busy with your training and with Flight Sim Expo, so we won't take up too much time. But we wanted to invite you in and just uh, give you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit more about the Expo. So what makes um, Flight Sim Expo unique? Why should people attend? Well, sure. Thanks for the question. Again, like I say, thanks for having me. Great to have folks like yourselves and Infinite Flight attending the event. I think to me, that's what makes it so special. We've got now 45 exhibitors, 20 plus sponsors, a whole bunch of really interesting speakers. It's basically the ultimate flight simulation experience you can get in a weekend. So we're going to see everyone pretty much that's a name in the industry, whether they be big developers for some of the at-home flight simulation platforms like P3D or X-Plane, down to folks like Infinite Flight, some of the other maybe you know lesser known platform developers at least from the at home world so you're looking at a couple of some new developers including these guys that make a simulator called deadstick that i've never even heard of so we're just seeing a tremendous amount of interest whole big variety of different people that are going to be there 
and what I expect is going to be just a phenomenal time with probably upwards of a thousand people, which is really exciting. Well, awesome. What you're, what I'm hearing you say is that it's just a big aviation nerd fest. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a good way of putting it. And, <laughs> I'm hoping you know, there'll so. There'll be anyway. something for anyone there, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. You know, you'll be able to see different flight sims if that's what you're into. If you've never used an at-home flight simulator before, which I'm sure there aren't too many people on this discussion that are hearing it, but if that's your case, there's lots of opportunity to get involved in seminars that you can use to start learning about what you would do to get started. And even for people who are just into real-world aviation, you know, we're going to have NATCA there, the Air Traffic Control Union. We're going to have Civil Air Patrol there. Some of our speakers, including Captain John Cox, who are talking about the aviation industry and about his role on the show Mayday, which many of you guys may have seen. So it's just a, an absolutely all-encompassing sort of aviation nerd fest, maybe more than just a flight simulation one. Yeah, perfect. So what are some exhibitors or guests, speakers that, uh, that you're going to have that you're really excited about and, and how come? Well, you know, it's hard to pick just a couple on the exhibitor front. Like I say, we have 45 exhibitors now, and they range from anyone you can imagine, from these very small niche developers that perhaps some of us haven't heard of and might be able to explore something new, to some of the biggest names in simulation. And as I was just mentioning, you know, some of the organizations there that are actually all about real-world aviation, too, which is interesting. Like our speaker list, as well, gives you that same sort of variety. So you've got people who are really big into the simulation world, Names like Robert S. Randazzo from PMDG, Winfried Diekman from Aerosoft, kind of giving some development updates. Then you look at some more of the, you know, people who are at the intersection of simulation and real world. So guys like Matthew Cannon, who's a first officer for Alaska, Matt Bartles, who's a flight dispatcher for Delta. They're both that sim people. They're going to talk about how the sim and real world interact. You've got a bunch of people who've built home cockpits and home cockpit parts. Joe Corrigan from the JetSim is talking about his work. He basically goes out into airplane boneyards. He picks up parts and pieces out of airplanes, and then he puts them into sims and actually creates simulators and cockpits out of real-world stuff, which is really neat. So there'll, again, just be this really wide variety of things there. So really anyone who's interested or knows anything about simulation or aviation, there's going to be something to do. Awesome. And what do you hope that uh, your attendees get from the event? What's the biggest goal here? I think it depends on what people are coming there for, right? So we've got people that are coming there who may never have been into sim before. I think that's what I'm most excited about is people who are there. Maybe they're a private pilot. Maybe they're a student pilot. Maybe they're looking to get started with flying. And this just inspires a passion for them. And it inspires something that can build into whether it's a career whether it's just a hobby that they end up doing. I think I'd love to see a lot of people come to this conference, not know much about flight sim, get into it, and then come back next year and say, you know what, I got my private pilot's license, or I went and got my commercial license, or I'm working for an airline. We hear that story over and over again with some of the online communities that I'm part of. You guys have probably heard the same. So for me, it would be really awesome that this conference continued to build on that and continued to bring new people into this industry and into this sort of group that we've created for ourselves. Yeah, that's great. I, I like that answer because often when you think of flight simulators, you think of um, just some, some geeky thing that people do at home who don't want to be or can't be pilots, which is definitely the case for me. Um, but I, uh, you know, or these people that have rooms full of, you know, huge simulators in their house. But the the goal of being able to help the uh, real world aviation community is really awesome, and I think um, 
you guys raising sort of awareness in that area is a great thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, we've got people, it's about a 50, 50 split of people who are pilots, whether they be, you know, my case commercial or people who are recreational pilots or students and people who are just really into flight simulation. So again, what I like to talk about with this event is that there is something for you, whether you fall into either or neither of those two camps. And I'm sure that, you know, folks like you guys and what Mark and Infinite Flight have got set up, again, that just appeals to everybody, right? Mark, you can probably talk to this better than I can, but what we've been talking about the past couple of days with your setup and actually having, you know, some devices there for people to play with, like you'll be able to just walk up to a booth and spend five or 10 minutes flying Infinite Flight. Like, that's really cool. Then you can turn the corner and sit down and you're using P3D or X-Plane in VR. Like, where else can you do that? Yep. Percent. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have few a uh, few devices on hand, uh, so that way people don't really have to wait. Um, hopefully, you know there will be that much of a turnout, but um, you know that way people won't have to wait. So uh, they'll be able to pick up a device, uh, one of the tablets, and um, you know we'll be there to show them how to uh, you know basically to work through the sim and how it operates. And you know we're we're really excited about it. It's it's going to be a great time. Uh, to interact with uh, with people and and let them know you know of a different type of flight sim that is available uh, on a mobile device uh, to where you know because not everybody can can take their computer and put it in their backpack and carry it everywhere. Um, so we're really excited about the opportunity to present our product there. Yes, you know stuff like that that is just so cool about this event. I'm talking to all the different exhibitors and people are asking me questions about different requirements for their booths. So I've got a bit of an insight that people don't yet know about just how much is happening and how much we'll be able to showcase in terms of the latest technology. What you've described as a great example, starting to see setups on VR and AR is another great example. There's just so much really, really cool stuff that even me and probably you guys being in the industry, having been around for 10 years, and I'm still uncovering developers, exhibitors, and things that I was like, wow, I've never heard of that before. And it's all going to be in one place for people. So really is a unique opportunity to go. There's nothing like being around a group like this. It's so easy to make friends there. So easy to find people to go out for dinner with. There's a great social happening after the event with some free food and drinks, lots of great giveaway prizes. It basically pays for itself, really, if you think about all the value that you're getting in that ticket. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Evan, thanks a lot. Uh, Flight Sim Expo, everybody, is June 9th and 10th at the Flamingo Las Vegas Resort. Registration is $80 a person, and you can register at flightsimexpo.com. And uh, Evan, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah, you bet. Looking forward to it. Thanks again. All right, Mark. Well, let's bring in our guest. Joining us today from Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. And Mark, you know I'm in Ontario. Our province, and and maybe uh, some listeners don't know this, our province is just over one and a half times the size of Texas. So we have, it's a a large area of land. Um, It would take me about 14 hours to drive from where I am in almost southern Ontario to Thunder Bay, where Emily lives. So... um, we are in the same province, but she's still uh, you still want to fly if, unless you want that long drive we were talking about before. But joining us from Thunder Bay as part of our Women in Aviation series is Beechcraft 1900 pilot Emily Smith. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. 
Well, Emily, you know, thanks for joining us today. And, you know, just want to ask you the same thing we do, um, everybody that we bring on the show. I mean, when did you first become interested in flying? What What's your history with aviation? Well, before I can even remember, as young as even six, seven years old, um, I've always wanted to be a pilot. If anyone ever asked me, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? For me, my answer was always, I want to be a pilot. And I think... Um, a lot of it came from uh, the fact that I have a lot of close family, actually, who lives over in England. And from a very young age, we'd actually fly there almost every year or every other year. And I still remember the days leading up to every trip we took there, and I'd get so excited. And most people would think that would be for the trip itself, but actually it was for the flight. And I remember the days leading up to uh, the flights, I would go online, I'd check out which plane we were going to be in. And I mean, this was obviously when I was a little bit older, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, and so I think I just had a lot of exposure to aircraft growing up. And on a lot of these flights as well, um, back then, we were allowed to kind of check out the cockpit mid-flight. So every flight, I'd ask the flight attendants if they'd let me go up. And of course, usually they did. And I would get to go up and sit in the pilot seat and look out the window and look at all the buttons and I just thought it was, I thought it was really cool. And um, another thing is actually uh, my uncle over in England, he was a Harrier pilot in the Navy there, but unfortunately he passed away when I was quite young. So um, sometimes I think that maybe it's actually in the blood, in our blood, but I'm not sure. And uh, even like moving forward a little bit um, when I was saying that I, this is what I've always ever wanted to do, even in grade eight, at the end of grade eight. So just before I went to high school, um, we, everybody had to write a little blurb at the bottom of their yearbook picture. And the question that everybody was asked was, where do you see yourself in 25 years? And mine was, all mine said was, I see myself as a pilot. And that's, that's all I wrote under my yearbook picture. Awesome. But <laughs> I'm, yeah. So growing up ever since a very young age, I just always known that's exactly what I wanted to be. And like, even from, um, when I was in high school, I used to drive down to the uh, Toronto Pearson Airport, and I'd sit in the Wendy's parking lot, as I'm sure a lot of plane spotters know. Yes, I um, do. We'd get, yeah, we'd get uh, we'd get ice cream, sit in the car, and we'd just wait for all the planes to land. And and uh, yeah, I just I've I've always had a love for aviation, really. So speaking of the Wendy's at Pearson, are you were you from Toronto originally? I'm actually from Kitchener Waterloo, so it's okay. about a forty. 40- minute drive west yep from where <laughs> from toronto <laughs> thank you that's better <laughs> yeah a suburb it's a suburb that? yeah say it again i gotta hear that again uh, it's kitchener waterloo it's two it's two yeah. uh two cities that are right side by side kind of like the twin yeah, cities in uh, minneapolis st paul so kitchen and waterloo kitchener and Waterloo. Oh, Kitchener. <laughs> Kitchener, Waterloo. We've spent entirely too much time on the names of these cities. <laughs> I do want to point out, Yo, though, that it's it's I'm so nice. To, now. It's so nice to talk to a Canadian who says at the end of grade eight, because most of my guests would say eighth grade, and uh, so it's just this is nice. This this is like uh, this interview is like really homey for me. It's great. Uh, <laughs> see here, it's like. Well, when I finally left the eighth grade, um, yeah. <laughs> because of my age, <laughs> exactly, I exceeded the age uh, requirement. Too many victory laps for Mark. 
All okay. right. So, Emily, maybe you can share what path you took to actually becoming a pilot. What did your training look like? Well, so after high school, um, I applied to every college in Canada pretty much that offered an aviation program. And I ended up picking um, Algonquin College in Ottawa. And so I went there. Um, they have an aviation management diploma program. And uh, that's a two-year course. And it brings you all the way through from getting your PPL up to your instructor rating if you want. Um, but for me, it actually took about three and a half years. And that was just due to the cost of the training. Um, as I'm sure you guys know, it's very expensive. Um, so I, uh, so yeah, so I went to Algonquin College. And uh, while, while I was there, I was also working part-time um, at a couple places, um, the first place I worked was a company called Vintage Wings of Canada, and they're uh, it's a small airport just um, outside of Gatineau, which is just north of Ottawa, and they restore old warplanes, so that was pretty neat, as well as working at the Rockcliffe Flying Club as a dispatcher, and I just did that part-time whenever I wasn't in class and wasn't flying, just to get a bit more money so I could afford it, um, and then, uh, so... Through Algonquin College, I got my PPL, my night rating, my float rating, as well as my commercial pilot's license. And then I also did my multi-engine rating there as well. Um, so the last rating I had to do was my Group 1 IFR, and then I'd be completely rated to start working somewhere. Um, but again, finances were kind of a bit of a roadblock for me. So I ended up moving home to Kitchener, Waterloo. <laughs> where, again, I worked part-time um, as a just on the ramp at um, the FBO in Kitchener, and I completed my Group 1 IFR rating at the Waterloo-Wellington Flight Centre, and in about six weeks, I completed everything there. Nice. And so how from there, how did you land your first pilot job? Well, from the, well when, I, when I did finish everything about two and a half years ago, um, I think the industry was still a little bit slow at the time and it was, it was still quite hard to get your foot in the door. And I applied multiple times to the same airlines all in Canada, name an, a small airline in Canada. And I probably applied to it multiple times and weeks would go by and I would send my resume in again and I wouldn't hear anything back from anybody. And it wasn't until a friend of mine that I had actually met working in Kitchener um, at the airport there, who got a job in northern at a northern airline called Wasea Airways, um, which, by the way, I had actually already applied there five times, never never heard anything back, and I asked him if he would personally hand in my resume, and I guess that's the way of doing it because after he handed it in a couple of days later, they called me and asked me if I was interested and if I could be there in a week, and. Of course, I said yes. I packed my car up and I drove up to the small town of Pickle Lake, is what it's called. Oh, nice. Where I started, where where I started as an apprentice pilot for a year. So I mean, you think Thunder Bay is far, is quite far? Pickle Lake is about another six hours north, oh, and you're still in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> well, amazing. So. Wow. So, any remote pay for that job? Yeah, we we actually do get remote pay. I think anybody north of Thunder Bay does get um, some remote living pay. Like the grocery store there, the prices were like unbelievable. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even believe it. So 
Yeah. Mark, for you, that'd be like working in Lubbock, Texas or something. Damn. <laughs> you're, you're far away from everything. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like it, but... Well, yeah, the, uh, long, hmm. the closest Tim Hortons was about a two and a half hour drive. That's the reference <laughs> the close- point. <laughs> the closest Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah. It was two and a half hours, and I think the closest Walmart was about four hours. So actually, a, a couple, usually once a month, me and a friend would get in our cars and we drive to Walmart to do groceries. That's amazing. It's a four-hour drive. Mark, this is this is again the little another little Canadian history lesson. This is how Canadians refer to distances. We talk about it in hours, and so you know that's probably how they base the remote pay. Is if you if you live more than two hours away from a Tim Hortons, we'll pay you for <laughs> some extra living expenses. Good lord! Yeah, here it's yonder over there. Uh, second tree to the left. <laughs> when you yeah. pass Mrs. Smith's uh, mailbox, you've gone too far. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, Emily, now it, it sounds like from our chats you're willing, uh, looking to branch out a little bit. What's the uh, – well, first of all, are you allowed to say w- what you're working on right now? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it seems like it from your Instagram account, but um, and we'll we'll talk more about how to find you later. But uh, you're you're working on the B nineteen hundred, like we said. And uh, who do you work for right now? So right now, I work for a company called Wasaya Airways, and uh, yeah, I'm on the Beach nineteen hundred for them. Okay, cool. So what's next? So. Um, recently, a couple months ago, I'd actually, um, have applied to a company called Jazz Aviation and they're a Canadian regional company. Um, and I did my, I've done my interview with them and my simulator evaluation, as well as a couple other tests like criminal background check and drug tests and so on. Um, and I've completed everything. I'm just waiting for a call. So crossing my fingers. Yeah. Do you get nervous too during the criminal background check? (laughs) <laughs> I know I do. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> so, all right, Jason, we, I'll shut up now. No, it's it's all good, Mark. Uh, as we chat with you about this, I I added in another question because the, the often what I want to hear as a as a hopeful pilot someday myself, not not to fly commercially because I think that ship has sailed for me, but. But for people who want to become commercial pilots, what advice would you give them at this point, having gone through it all? Um, I would say be prepared to spend a lot of money for the first thing. Although there are a couple of colleges in Canada now that are subsidized by the government. So that's quite helpful. But if I were to give anybody advice, it would just be to you really need to have passion and drive and um even if you think it's hard, as long as you just keep at it, like you'll be successful. So, I mean, for me, like I did have some failures along the way and there was a few things that almost held me back. Um, but the, at the end of the day, I just kept at everything and I eventually got to where I wanted to be, which was 
a pilot and that was my dream and I knew no matter what nothing was going to stop me so fantastic and this is one that I've heard two sides of the the coin on so I'd love to know what your opinion is I've heard you know for someone like me who I've, I've I have a young family and now's not the time for me to go get my pilot's license hopefully someday but if if I were to do that would you recommend that I chip away at it and start ground school now and then you know as I have the time and the money to to just work away at it or would you suggest just saving up all the money having it in a slush fund and then going for it all at once when I have when I have a window um I would recommend if you have if you can save the money and just get and have all the money for your your rating all at once I think it's more beneficial just because I find the longer you wait in between flights the more often you need to redo um certain aspects for completing say like the commercial pilot's license if you do a if you do a class or a flight and then you don't do another one for a couple weeks well you might have to come back and redo what you had done just from there being so much time in between so i think it actually you actually end up saving money if you do it all at once in a small amount of time than a little bit here and there over a long period of time hmm. that seems to be the general consensus would you agree with that mark yeah, it's uh, it would you know, and I've always said that. And anybody that comes to me with it, um, that's what I always recommend. Uh, because you know, if you fly one hour now and then you fly again in two weeks for another hour, hour and a half, well, the first half of that lesson, you're spending reviewing what you did two weeks prior. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to take a lot longer to get it. So yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, agree with Emily in the fact that you need to, you need to do it when you are able to do everything all at once. Yeah, so that sounds you know. good to me. All right, let's consider mm-hmm. that the official advice, Flycast advice. Uh, why don't we talk about this aircraft? You're flying the 1900, B-1900, and um, this is a, a, I think, 21-seater, if I'm not mistaken, or something around there. Yeah, so it's, no, well, the captain, first officer, and then 19 seats in the back. So, ah, yeah, gotcha. it's 20 okay. all together. And are you and the captain the only crew? Yes, we are. So we don't have any fancy flight attendants or anything like that. It's just the two of us, and that's it. Okay. Well, not all of them are fancy. So if somebody <laughs> if somebody wants like a vodka, you just throw it at them or something. <laughs> <laughs> we unfortunately don't even have drinks or snacks in the plane. Uh, well, there, these so, are short hops, right? You're flying. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What would be the longest flight that you would fly in uh, uh, working for them? Uh, the longest flight we do, I would say is, um, from Thunder Bay, we fly up to one of the Northern reserves up right on the coast of Hudson Bay called Fort Severn. And in a 1900, it takes about, I want to say about two hours to get there. It's about 400 miles. That's a long flight in a 19 seater. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just cozy. You we used had... to have the uh, we used to have the jet streams back in the day at Northwest, which were also nineteen seaters. Of course, they weren't the workhorse like the uh, nineteen hundred is. Um, but it, I couldn't even imagine a two hour flight in that thing. Well, I mean, I'm I'm never a passenger. I'm always at the front, so well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> There's no no deadheading <laughs> on those airplanes, I guess. So, um, have you had any? Uh, 
any close calls or emergencies. This is what this is when we ask our community, you know, what questions do you want to hear? They always ask if you ever dealt with any emergencies uh, in the 1900 at all. Um, I haven't. I don't. I haven't dealt with any close calls or emergencies, which I mean, really, I'm thankful for. Yeah, touch wood. Um, but no, like in in the year I've been on it, I fortunately haven't had anything like that at all. The only emergencies I've ever had were in the simulator where my engines are on fire, but <laughs> not, right. none in real I've heard from a few of our guests. We talked to uh, Rashid Nazir, who's lo- really active on Instagram, Pilot Rashid. He uh, said that they dealt with, um, I think, it, what was it, a, a flap motor or something, Mark, that they had to, mm-hmm. the, and that was in a yep. Beach 1900 too, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure that's what he was flying. I don't remember what plane that was. I think he flies the Q400. He does now, for sure. But he was flying, yeah, for somebody else, and I think it was, or it was, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. We have to go back and listen to that episode. But um, Mark, do you have any questions for Emily on the Beach 1900? You had a few on the list there. Well, I mean, what do you like best about it? About the 1900 itself? Um, Well, I love flying it. It has so much power, and I think. I just, it's such a versatile plane. Like, I mean, we land up north on 3,000 foot gravel strips and we can basically stop the plane before we even get halfway down it. So even in the winter, when you have a really icy runway, I think it's really neat that you can come into these small remote little places and, and it's, they're, it's just so easy to land there. And they're just they're so versatile like some of our some of our hops we do are only about 11 miles apart like the the two airports mm-hmm. so what 11 I miles yeah so so it's a point one in our logbook <laughs> get out of here so you spend more time taxiing and and warming up probably than you do flying yeah well not all of them are that short there's a, a few like most of our days are about 12 le- like we have 12 legs we oh, do wow. so we stop 12 different places but some of them they're the one shortest one we do is about 11 miles away we literally take off and you climb to like 2500 3000 feet and then you just land again that's incredible so you're on final uh, after you take off pretty much exactly like you take off and you have to call final at the next airport right away <laughs> wow that's so awesome that wow. is awesome i've never heard of that before Eleven, oh, yeah, because cool. I think the longest, the shortest one that we heard prior to that was uh, with Jared. It was like a twenty-minute flight from Charlotte down to uh, Green uh, Greenville Spartanburg or something. Yeah, something like that. And Southwest has yeah. a pretty. Speaking of them, they have a pretty short hop um, from one airport to another in Florida. Um, you know, short for a seven thirty-seven. Anyway, I think it's a twenty-minute flight. But um, yeah, so Mark had uh, noted here that the the nineteen hundred is a workhorse. Um, What's it like flying it when it's heavy? Like it, you, you fly with full loads often. Yeah, yeah, we we fly quite often with full loads, um, whether that be passengers or just cargo in the back as well. Um, I don't find it too different. Like I don't really see too much of a difference. I more so see a difference when we're empty, when you can climb at like three thousand feet a minute, and or yeah, like. I don't really find too much of a difference, but we definitely fly the plane at gross weight all the time. Oh, wow. Okay. And pretty and- much with the 1900, Jason, if you can put it in the plane, it will still fly. Right. That's yeah. what it sounds like. So what's the it's range? If, if you were to take off fully loaded, what would be your range in that thing? 
oh, fully loaded. Um, I want to say, I don't mean, honestly, I don't even know how far. Because like I said, none of our, we don't fly very long distances. So we can typically put in a full load of passengers, full amount of cargo, and we can still fly to almost all our destinations. So Awesome. Do you want to add? Do y'all have the... um... Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask: Do the, do y'all have uh, now? Since you know, with all of the security changes and everything, I remember in the uh, in the uh, jet streams, also in the Metro Threes, there was no cockpit door. There oh no, we, curtain. Yeah, so well, ours isn't a curtain; it's a little sliding door. But we're actually not allowed to close it because because we don't have a flight attendant. We need to be able to see our passengers at all times. Yeah. So. Wow. Such so a, we, yeah, okay. so, so different than the yeah. airlines. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, from the larger planes, yeah. The larger ones, yeah. That's crazy, though. Anything you want to add about uh, the 1900, Emily, before we move on? Um, no, I think you covered it all. Cool. Well, we're going to take a hard 90-degree turn on this interview, and we're going to bring it back to our uh, series, which is the Women in Aviation. And... Um, I might frustrate some listeners with this line of questioning, but I don't care. Um, if I get politically incorrect, it's because I'm ignorant, not because I'm trying to be insensitive. Um, with aviation still being a fairly male-dominated space, have you ever had to overcome any challenges being a woman pilot? Um, I don't think I've necessarily had any major challenges with being a female pilot. I mean, obviously... When I was going into college, which it was a very dominated, uh, male-dominated career, um, it did give me a, a little bit of anxiety and worry before I started. Um, most classes, at least when I started, there's usually about two two girls out of the total thirty amount of or thirty students in mm. each class. So it was quite a low number. I actually have a friend now who's going through the same program at the college here in Thunder Bay, and I think the numbers are up to about seven or eight out of thirty. Okay, so. It's a little bit. It's a little bit more now, but go like going through school. Like I did have, I did have some doubts from some students and some people, um, but all in all, for me, I it was quite a positive experience, and I did receive a lot of support from family and friends. And you know, any negativity I did receive, I just it kind of just gave me the drive to prove them wrong. And like that's exactly what I did. I, at the end of the day, we all had to complete the same exams the same flight tests, the same standards. So, yep. Oh, well, so, yeah. okay. Let me, let me, I'm going to start this next question with a, a bit of an anecdote and um, you can see if, see if we're still on the right track. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording today. Um, I was on a Southwest flight a few years ago where the flight attendant was wrapping up her safety speech and they're usually, you know, they're usually cracking jokes and, and being pretty funny on that uh, airline. And, um, she quite proudly noted that we had a lady pilot. She said, we've got a lady pilot today. And that stuck with me because she was being funny and so that the speech stood out in my head. And, um, you know, since I've I've used that phrase when on flights with my kids or whatever, and my intention was to point out to my boys uh, that fact sort of in the spirit of equality, like, hey, guys, this is great. You know, this it's a male-dominated industry and maybe our flight, not so much. You know, it's 50%... Um, man 50% woman here um, so that was my intention my wife has recently and lovingly might I add corrected me in saying 
that it's inappropriate to quantify or qualify our pilot being female using prone, uh, you know, using pronouns talking about our pilot is enough instead. So it's like talking about your visit to the doctor and then pausing partway through to note that your doctor was female. You know, why wouldn't she be? And you probably wouldn't do this if you were going to, let's say, the veterinarian with your dog and, and the vet, you know, you wouldn't mention the vet's gender because, you know, it's predominantly women, but yet we don't need feel the need to quantify that. So my question to you is, do you agree with Jen and uh, do you see this in your line of work at all? Um, I do, I do agree with her. Yes. And I mean, it is nice to be recognized as someone who, despite a lot of discrimination and odds against them has succeeded, but I, I do think she's right. I mean, um, I don't think referring to a pilot as a lady pilot is right. I mean, you wouldn't like, if you saw a male there, you would never say, Oh, did you see that? We had a male pilot today. Like you would never say that. So I mean, I get you, usually when people say these things, it's not in a negative way, which I mean, so would, I totally understand that. But um, I mean, us women only make up about 6% of the aviation industry. So it can be quite surprising to see one. Um, and like you said, for example, like if, if you were at a hospital and you saw and you had a male nurse, you wouldn't go home and say, oh, guess what? I had a male nurse. Right. You would yeah. just say. I had a nurse and, and I know that they, in their profession, they are considered a minority, but you would still never say that. So I do, I do agree with her. Yes. And look for the record, I also agree with my wife and she's always right. Um, (laughs) in case she listens to this, which she does not. (laughs) Yeah. And that's probably why I'm single and no longer divorced or (laughs) no longer married because I don't, didn't always agree. And she wasn't always right. Matter of fact, she was never right. Well, we're not going to go down that road this time uh, on the podcast, Mark, but um, let's table that. Well, one I just had now. to make my stance. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I just had to go ahead and say it. Yeah, no, I think I think uh, that's great. Uh, those are great thoughts, Emily. And I, I want to actually put something out there right now um, about infinite flight. And I've got the go ahead to to talk about this. Something that's coming up um, soon is a new... I guess it's a category on the Infinite Flight Forum. And if you're interested in checking out the forum, it's uh, community.infinite-flight.com. This is going to be a brand new category called Women of Infinite Flight. It'll be an exclusive category only available to women and people who identify as non-binary individuals who are looking for a place to hang out in a space that's mostly male-dominated. And we found this, actually. Mark and I, we've um, found that when, when there are women that are part of the group, it's not a place that they want to really stick around for very long because it's just predominantly uh, male. And so this is an effort to sort of uh, be more inclusive on the part of Infinite Flight. And um, I'm going to play this blurb for them before I release the podcast to make sure I haven't said anything stupid. But um, because I'm still learning. And uh, but if you're interested... Um, please keep your eyes peeled on the Infinite Flight Forum. This will be announced soon, and um, Flying Development Studio will actually even issue a complimentary pro subscription to Infinite Flight as an enticement to uh, women who want to check this out and who want to check out the sim and feel like they have a safe space to do that. So, Emily, we talked about this a little bit uh, briefly and and invited you to um, show up there and sort of 
um, mentor some of these women along uh, if you have time. And we would sure love to see you there. And um, you'll be checking out Infinite Flight as well, hopefully, in the next couple of days. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mark, did you want to add to that at all? No, you pretty much covered it. Okay. I just, yeah. Um, you know, Laura's pretty much um, handling all of that and, and running everything, which is great. Um, but it, it's exciting, man, that, you know, that we're actually doing that. Um, because it, you know, it, 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 it I, I really don't even know how to, how to explain it, but it, it's just exciting that we're doing that, you know, and, and to, to build that community in itself. So for sure, it's going to be good. It's going to be yeah. real good. So Emily, where can people find you, uh, online if they want to follow you on Instagram or anywhere else? Um, like my, do you mean by my name on Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Emily Brook 787 and that's where anybody can follow me. And um, I'm always happy to answer any questions that anybody has. Um, I get quite a bit, so um, but I, I'll always answer them. So Awesome. Well, you were very receptive to chatting with us, and um, we, we get various, as you can imagine, we get various types of responses when we cold call people on Instagram or anywhere else. And... Uh, you were very enthusiastic and will, a willing participant. So thanks so much for doing that. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Is there anything else that you yeah, want to add or here. anything that we didn't ask that you want to, that you want to add and, and let listeners know about? Um, I think uh, maybe I just wanted to let other, like if there are other female pilots listen, or females who are aspiring to be pilots listening to this, um, just know that there are a lot of communities now for women in aviation. Like there's, communities such as the 99s Elevate Aviation, the iHeart Flying Foundation, and many others where um, they promote aviation to young women and hope that more and more females will see this as a great career choice. And I mean, I know we have come a long way in the um, from the past, but there's definitely a long way to go. So if any females are looking um, to get into it, there are a lot of places they can go for information now. So I think it's it's really good. It's getting a lot better. Fantastic. Well, Emily, thanks again for chatting with us and all the best as you continue your career in aviation. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That was Canadian pilot Emily Smith, and she joined us today via Skype from Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can follow Emily on Instagram at emilybrook with an E787. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to come and say hello at the Infinite Flight booth during Flight Sim Expo. We can't wait to see you there. For more of the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on social media at Flightcast Audio. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. I'm Jason Rosewell, hosting with me as always with Skyhawk Heavy. Thanks for listening and happy landings. Emily, what what got you first? This is like the question that we uh, launch into all of our interviews with. Um, what? Oh, that's crap. I need to edit that. Can't even get the first question out. Let me take another drink of water. So, Emily, let me start off with a question that we kind of launch into all of our interviews with, and that is, when did you curse? Would you like for me to do it? Uh, <laughs> let me try one more time. Let's start off with one question that we start. 
Wow. No, Mark, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs>